and welcome back to the What The Folk Sunland preview show. The advent calendar is almost done, the Christmas dinner is on its way to the oven, and one of the best days in the football calendar is upon us. That's right, a packed out stadium light is ready to roll Sunland on on Boxing Day as we take on Blackburn Rovers. Um, and to let us know exactly what we've got coming this sort of Christmas, or just after Christmas, this coming Monday, is Ian from Top Class Blackburn Rovers podcast, the BRFCS podcast. Ian, I have listened to your show. I really enjoyed your fighting talk episode. It is great, but how are you, mate? You okay? I'm great. Yeah, thank you very much for that. It's always nice when somebody gives us a listen and gives us some feedback. We we like to try and do things a little bit off the cuff every now and then. Yeah, I think I think it's it's great doing previews and reviews of actual performances, but to do something that's more like a standalone radio show just every now and then, I think is, is pretty good. And uh, Fighting Talk's one of my favourite shows and podcasts. So to shamelessly ape that, it w- w- was terrific fun to do. And so far, we haven't heard from the copyright lawyers, so it's all good. <laughs> well, the good news is I like the idea that much that you stole from them that I'm going to steal your ideas. It's going to be triply stolen. We're all going to do it together. So the copyright lawyers can come to <laughs> all of us, mate. But um, Fantastic. It, it, it does seem like a really long time ago, the, the Christmas break or the, the winter break, the World Cup break, whatever you want to call it. But we're speaking prior to the, the League Cup game you have with Nottingham Forest tonight. So we'll start from the top as always outside of that. You picked up what to me seemed like a really big win over Norwich at the weekend. Really yeah. not an easy place to go, despite the fact that they're not doing very well. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on the performance and the result? Well, I think it was um, it was a great result, obviously. Uh, as you say, Norwich is far from a happy hunting ground for us. Uh, really difficult place to go to. And given our relative positions in the league table, to go there and come back with anything would have been a triumph. To go there and come back with anything after the results that bookended the World Cup break was seen as hugely positive and, and perhaps you know, restored a little bit of confidence in the fans, if not the team. Uh, that Norwich looked pretty poor. I have to say, they did look like a team that wasn't playing for Dean Smith, but you've still got to take advantage of it. And yeah, we, we were fortunately got an own goal fairly early on. But I thought thereafter, because that meant Norwich had to come out of their shells, that plays to our strengths. So I don't know just how aware of our quirky statistics you are this season. If we score first, we win. If we concede first, we lose. We don't do draws. That, that's basically the story of our season. So trying to make any sort of sense out of that, frankly, is, is beyond the wit of me, for sure. Uh, I just, yeah, we go along having no idea which Blackburn Rovers will turn up. And we know that whoever scores the first goal, well, that's it. We can go now. Yeah, it, It's in the bag. So sooner or later, that result, uh, sorry, that sequence will have to come to an end, I guess. Maybe it will be on Boxing Day. Who knows? But uh, it is a quirky one. But yeah, I'm very happy with the uh, with the three points from Norwich. If anyone's likely to, to ruin any kind of record, it's likely to be Sunderland for a negative reason. We'll probably score first and get beat 2-1. Um, <laughs> I'll take that. At least there's my prediction out the way, I guess. But um, it did seem like a really important result. You touched on the, the sort of results prior to the, the break and the one just after. In yeah. some ways, it felt like Blackburn had sort of fallen off the wagon a little bit. So in the context of the season and the fact that you are third in the table, how important was it that you did get that win and the manner of it? Uh, I think crucial because it wasn't just that it were two bad defeats. It was two bad defeats to local rivals mm-hmm. and it was two bad defeats with two absolutely shocking performances. Yeah, really eye-wateringly bad. So yeah, going before the World Cup, when we're playing Burnley, they're our nearest and dearest, of course, and they've come down and there's a lot riding on it, huge amounts of pressure. We Had we won that day, we would have gone into the World Cup break on top of the table. And frankly, at the beginning of the season, anybody who would have predicted that would have been looked on askance. You know, he would have been certified and sort of like uh, put in a straitjacket almost immediately. So to be where we are, uh, 
or to be where we were and have that prospect and going top, beating your local rivals in their stadium. Yeah, it was it was just all set up quite beautifully. I think there's a there's a large core of Rover support though that have looked at our binary results this season and thought, well, where are we in the sequence of win lose win lose win lose? Yeah, where does where does it fall? But it was it was re, it was a an odd team selection. It was odd tactics that that Thomason chose, and so we went into the World Cup kind of like really deflated, perhaps disproportionately so because it was Burnley because the performance was so bad. So World Cup, nice distraction. Forget about you know club football for a while. Come back out of it, and you've got another local derby at home to Preston. We played them at Deepdale back end of last season and won four one. And they decided to get revenge, good and proper. Um, and again, it was an eye-wateringly bad performance. There was just, there was very little to look at and sort of think, well, we were unlucky there. That could have gone for us. The only look we had on the day was that Preston probably was satisfied with four and they didn't really push it. So off the back of those two results, then then going to Norwich, you know, it, it, it was a nice recovery. It was it was important to put a performance in to get the result to get the win was was yeah that 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 sort of like has restored a bit of faith but it's been a crazy season I'm sure we'll get into it but it's just been really really peculiar really odd. If I remember correctly, I think we broke your sequence because we were win lose win lose win lose. Yes. And we played you on the Monday or Tuesday. We we, we had back to back. We just didn't know what to do at that point. It was it was kind of like hang on a minute. Yeah, this isn't supposed to happen because a, a number of fans have been projecting forward and thinking, ah, oh, the return of Mowbray. You know, so that, yeah, where we again, where in the win lose sequence are we at? So uh, yeah, that that sequence was brought. We did yeah, we did have a, a a run of results which lifted us up the table after the win lose sequence was was shattered, but. We've lost. I think it's one of the situations where we've we've probably got the second highest number of league defeats in the table and the second highest number of league wins or something because we just don't draw games. So it's it's just, it's just so difficult to draw any conclude to draw any conclusions. There we go. Need to put that can. one in. But I'll take that. Now. Yes. <laughs> the, only, the only thing that we do draw are conclusions. I guess. <laughs> I, I didn't want to touch on the Burnley game too much, but I'm going to have to. I think. We we went 2-0 up against Burnley at home and then they got four second half goals. And yeah. to be honest, the first half we were like, well, what's everyone making the fuss about? And the second half we went, all right. Yeah. So it's difficult because I think Burnley are probably the one side we've come up against this season that for 45 minutes I've gone, all right, okay. There, yeah, all right, fair enough. And the league table doesn't lie as the old yes. adage goes. Yeah. But when it's a derby game and when you're only a couple of points behind, and as you said, if you'd won, you would have you would have went further in the league. I remember and we're talking a while ago now, we were going quite steady in the league, in the Premier League as it was at the time. We were the favourites for the first time uh, going into a game at St James's Park. And I hate to bring this up, Sunderland fans. We got beat 5-1. Two games later, we beat Chelsea 3-0. And to be honest with you, it wasn't forgot about. It did sting a little bit. But the runner form afterwards helped us forget about it. But looking back, you still remember how you felt that day. Yeah. So how, how much is that performance and that result? Because I did watch the game. I understand what you're saying about the performance. How much has that affected the fan base despite the win at the weekend? I think, well, lose, losing to nearest and dearest is, ne- is never easy. And it, it, do, it does sort of leave you with, with that bitter pill. If that's the price that you have to pay for then putting together a run uh, of terrific results, I think that's a price that m- most fans will be happy about. You only get three points for any game. It doesn't really matter who you play. It's just the peculiarities of the way our fixtures fell leading into the World Cup and coming out of the World Cup was that there were two local derbies to our our two closest rivals 
both of whom humiliated us. Uh, and that, I suppose, left a particularly bitter taste. But bouncing back against Norwich was great. And you know, if we were to win at Sunderland and then win the next game and win the next game, very quickly, those memories would 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 fade until we play them the next time, of course. And I'm sure that, you know, that the fans will, will, will build up the atmosphere again and will build up the anticipation. But right now, the fact that we are we are still third, despite all of that, speaks volumes for how how resilient the team is in terms of keep bouncing back from those kinds of defeats. It's interesting because I think for ages on the podcast and our review shows and our preview shows, I was like, I know you're in this place in the league. I know we're in this place in the league, but the league's mental. There's only four points either side. Yeah. It's getting a little bit better, slightly. Um, and you're still third. And I picked up on a really interesting, another really interesting stat on our preview show, oddly enough. Sunderland and Blackburn have conceded the same, exact same amount of goals, but we've actually scored, I think, four more. You're third, we're 12th. Yeah. Prior to the break, taking out the Burnley game, yeah. four of your five games were won by just one goal. It's often said teams can get promoted by winning games 1-0, 2-1, yada, yada. Is that Blackburn Rovers this season? It, it seems to be. Um, I have sufficient vintage that I'm able to hark back to um, a, a previous promotion campaign. I'm talking. I'm going to take you way back now. Pull, you know, pump up a cushion here. We're going back to the late 1970s, and Rovers um, got a new manager who was a, an up and coming, promising player manager from Stoke City called Howard Kendall. Mm-hmm. He was only with us for two years, and then he went to Everton. And I think if you look in the record books, you'll see the impact that he had at Everton. Well, he transformed Rovers. Absolutely transformed us. We'd gone down into the third tier and he took over this side. And the, the whole ethos of that team was, well, we're just not going to concede a goal. Mm-hmm. Just just accept that. We're not conceding goals. And the team wasn't set up to score lots of goals, but we had a couple of great goal poachers who were always likely, there was going to be a chance that fell their way during the game, they'd score more than they'd miss. And I look back on the, um, the, the stats for a show that we did a, a, a few months ago, and we had a ridiculous number of 1-0 victories in that season. We went up, I think, barely averaging just over a goal a game. Um, and yet I, I think back now with the distance in the distance of time to that season, just how enjoyable it was to keep going away from home and keep winning 1-0. But yeah, we knew it was a bit like Don Revy's Leeds United, harking back even earlier in the seventies. You, you got, you had a very organised defence. You, you took the lead, and yeah, bring it on because you're not, you're not going to breach our defence. Now, this season is a bit different because Rovers are Jekyll and Hyde. So you know the the Rovers side that scores first and goes on to win, as we've always as we've talked about, seems to thrive on bringing the opposition onto them. Mm-hmm. On sort of saying, right, we're in front now. You've got to, you've got to make all the play, and then we have Brereton on, on one wing, Gallagher on the other, and then usually a false nine from midfield running through to link the two, and we can break really, really quickly and really, really effectively. So I think sides that have watched us are very aware of that, and, and are really, really cautious about then leaving too much space for us to exploit. However, if if you score first. We haven't got a clue. We just we really do not know what to do, and it's kind of like, well, hang on, hang, you know, what, what do we do in these circumstances? We have no frame of reference with this team of players to to do a comeback. I tweeted during the, the World Cup final on Sunday. I said something to the effect of, "Yeah, for all Blackburn Rovers fans watching, this is a comeback, and it's been capped by an equaliser." 
And what you what you'll see at full time if there's no more goals is a thing called a draw. Yeah, that, that sort of like provoked provoke quite a lot of quite a lot of response. Yeah, I, I really want my team to come back. I want them to show character. I want them to, even if it's two 0 at half time, to think that you're still in the game. And we've just not had that this season. Just not had it at all. But in fairness, when we've gone in front, my God, have I seen some resolute defending? So some really really solid backs to the wall stuff to eke out these one goal victories. So we are truly a Jekyll and Hyde side. I've no idea which team's going to turn up on Boxing Day. No idea whatsoever. But a big predictor of the outcome will be who scores first. Uh, it's just it's just surreal stuff. It really, really is. Talking about the the way you play, actually, and I'm trying to think back to the game, because obviously I watched that. It was on Sky, as it was. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being really... I mean, obviously, I know the decisions. I know probably a penalty prior to the goal. And uh, I think the second one was offside but yada yada I what I remember most about that is the fact that your first goal was from that break yeah and then after that that's it was just going at you going and just launching yeah. the ball to, to yeah. Barrett and Diaz yeah and him looking it, it, dangerous he's a great escape valve um I went to I tried to do a new ground every season and I went to Swansea early this season because I've not, not been before and it was our first away game of the season and they absolutely pinned us back completely pinned us back. The ball was fizzing across our six-yard box, you know, between the penalty spot and the six-yard box. Thinking, well, all they need here is a deflection. It goes in. You know, um, we're going to be in trouble here. And they couldn't, they couldn't get the goal. And you could see them getting increasingly frustrated. And then we, we, we scored completely against the run of play. And there's a long diagonal ball out to Brereton Diaz, who was on his own on the left touchline. He kind of like just headed it forward and out, ran the fullback. Uh, and it's kind of swanzing. You could just sort of see the thinking, how on earth has that happened what have we done to deserve it and then we did it twice more and came away with three nil you're thinking well if we play like that in 23 away games yeah yeah, we're going to be an unstoppable force but of course yeah again it goes back to what's our plan b when we concede the game the game at ewood against you guys i mean you you pinned us back Mm -hmm. yeah it, it, it was a proper backs to the wall defensive performance but Again, that's what we've seen so much of this season. When we're defending a lead, uh, we're really on it and we're really good. When we are behind, it's almost like it's a different group of individuals or playing completely different tactics. It's just a case of, oh, well, we've conceded. We're not going to get anything from this. Oh, we've conceded another one. Well, never mind. Yeah, Maybe next week we'll win. It really is really difficult to understand how... There is so little recourse when we go a goal behind. There's so few options. It just it feels very, really, really odd. I've never known anything like it before. I don't know what the football league record is for going a season without a draw, but we must be, you know, we must be homing in on it now. As we were talking you know, at the end of the year, this is going to end at one-one now, isn't it? I said we don't do draws. But at some point, we're going to draw a game, aren't we? So it, it may well be that. Uh, I find it. I almost I feel like a fraud coming on these sort of previews. Well, what, what about Blackburn Rovers? I don't know, mate. I've absolutely no idea. I've seen us loads of times. I don't know what to make of it. It's just bizarre. But yeah, it's an enjoyable ride. At the beginning of the season, I was predicting mid-table, lower mid-table. We'd lost a lot of players. Cranky, if he keeps us up, actually, that that would be a decent decent performance to have us where we are. Is surreal, but to your point about you know goal working, the goals working hard for us. Uh, at some point, you think we're going to revert to our natural XG, 
And if we do that, then our points haul is going is to drop. Yeah, it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel sustainable to keep winning games with a lower XG. At some point, it's going to catch up with you. So I, I keep using this phrase in articles that I write, really, a regression to the mean. It just feels like at some point we're going to get sucked back down into the middle of the table. But having said that, if you keep nicking them, yeah, and, the, and the confidence remains high, who knows? It's a crazy division, though. It really is a truly crazy division. I'm very rarely um, the type to use a cliche, but um, this is going to be my second one. Football's a funny game, so you never know if it will continue. Football um, is chaos. Yes, yeah, football yeah. is chaos. There, there, there is no way that you, you can sort of like predict what, what's going to happen. So we shall see. We shall see. But it's, it's been interesting. I will I will grant grant it that. Been, I've seen I mean, us win some games I didn't think we'd win, and I've seen us lose some games that we really ought not to have done. So it's funny you talk about I feel like it's not the only weird team I've had on for statistics. I had a Preston fan on during the time when they were just nil-nil every week or one yeah. nil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, I mean, obviously we're fairly new to this division. So I was like, is it always like this? No, like, no. Um one thing I find quite I actually have a little bit of knowledge, not much, about John Dahl Thomason, because Last season, he brought his Malmo team up against Rangers. I was yeah. at that game and so on and so forth. And I remember the interviews caused a bit of a storm because he was saying things about how Rangers yes. need the money. And obviously, Why that, wasn't it? Yeah. yes, very much so. And obviously, John Dahl Thomason was a former absolute flop when he played for, for Newcastle. And I'm old enough to remember the fact that I think we were linked to him at some point. He went there, did shite, and it was all brilliant. But what is he as a manager? Um, he seems to have a way of playing. Uh, and I don't know whether that's his preferred style or whether it's imposed on him. I need to set some context here. In the summer, there was a bit of an overhaul uh, behind the scenes. We brought in a new, uh, a, well, I say a new director of football. We didn't really have one. I think part of the issue in the Mowbray years was that all the staff were Mowbrays. So when he went, the, the, it was a case of, right, well, what, what do we do now? Uh, do we keep the staff? And I think because of cost. It was a case of trying to keep them together. Well, we need something above him then to, to give some continuity. So they brought this chap called Greg Broughton in. Uh, and he, he's, so he seems to have been very, very instrumental in our transfer policy. Uh, if you believe some of the things that you read, then the, he wants a consistent way of playing, which is, you know, Guardiola light, shall I say, play it out from the back, short passes, control possession, all that sort of stuff. The thing is, we're just not good enough to play that way. Hmm. So, and sides have cottoned on to us now, namely Burnley and Preston, to call it, but two examples. Well, hang on a minute, they play it out from the back. Right, we'll have a high press. They won't play a long ball over the top, so we're, we're going to be okay. Against Norwich, for the first time, the keeper and the centre-backs, when they were under pressure, launched it. And we had Gallagher on one wing, who, who's a unit in the air, and, and Brereton's strength and pace on the other. So then it meant Norwich just had to constantly keep looking over the shoulder and thinking, can we afford to leave that space there? And it just introduced an element of doubt. Now, will that continue? I don't know. But that feels like that, that that's Thomason's natural style and his natural inclination. I think he's won a lot of favour simply by not being Tony Mowbray. Um, yeah, Mowbray, Mowbray did on balance, a really good job at Rovers, but he was probably there at least one season, if not two seasons, too many. Uh, we got into a rut every season at the end of January. We'd be in the transfer window, thinking, just, just sign a couple of players now. You know, we're, we're going great guns. We're in the playoffs. Sign a couple of players. Nobody would come in. They wouldn't spend the money for whatever reason. Uh, and then results would just crash and burn. And again, an interesting statistical quirks. I think... It, 
last season or the season before, we won two out of the last 17 games and Jesus. just plummeted. And it was just kind of like, you know, so when he joined you guys, you know, so to so say, yeah, how much money are we having Sunderland being in the playoffs um, at Christmas and then crashing and burning by the time it, it's Easter kind of thing. So what, watch out for that one. Now, whether that is because the players get knackered or they just can't sustain the way that Mowbray wants to play, I don't really know. With John Dahl Thomason, what we've had is high, low, high, low, high, low, <laughs> high, low. So with Mowbray, we had this steady build in the first half of the season, get confidence high, get everyone at this time of year buying half-season tickets, and then the second half of the season, crash and burn. With Thomason, we've had this, as I say, sort of constantly famine or feast. It's, it's one or the other. But he seems he seems perfectly affable. Uh, clearly, he's got a good CV. He's won back-to-back titles in Sweden. You might say, well, it's only Sweden. But if, if you're managing in that league and you win it, you can't do any more than that. And if you mm-hmm. defend it the following season, again, that's pretty good. There are some fans that pointed out he went for interviews at Hibs and didn't get the job, and that's how yep. he ended up at Blackburn. I think Greg Broughton is instrumental in bringing him in, which is good, because then the director of football and he must be thinking along the same lines. So it gives us a bit of consistency there and all the rest of it. So it's, it's he, he seems really, really calm. Stay with it, guys. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. And when we win, that's great. But when we play as badly as we did against Blackburn and Preston, it's kind of like, I'm sorry, John, <laughs> that, that really was bad. You've got, to, you've got to do something different. And there was the first signs against Norwich that maybe we'll just modify that every now and then and we will be prepared to launch one to, to, to relieve the pressure if we're getting a real high press. So it'd be interesting to see, was that just a one-off? Was it just a, a quirk? Was it just the players taking it into their own hands? Or is it, is it something that we'll, we'll see featured far more often? But it was, I remember watching the Burnley game. I want to say it was Don Goodman was doing his nut. He was like, they've got to stop passing it about the back. Got, oh, God, they made a mistake. Yeah. And then the, yeah. one of the goals came from that. I remember that, yeah. actually. Um, in terms of, it, it seems like it's not vastly different because I don't think you can change things wholesale. But obviously, it seems a very different team to the Tony Mowbray team now. We've got Tony Mowbray in, and um, I would give him a solid six out of ten. But he's had himself hamstrung. To be completely honest, he's yeah. had both of his strikers that are injured. I think we've played more attractive football, but occasionally we've been really crap, and we can't seem to. Uh, where our con- inconsistency seems to be is we can either play really well in the first half or the second half, but occasionally uh-huh. <laughs> whatever me. half it is, yeah, I recognise that. But I recognise that, <laughs> which is worrying because I had, um, I think it was Rich Sharp when we first got him. I mean, it's not like we don't know who he is because of his time at other clubs and stuff. Yeah. But to get an understanding of what his time at Blackburn was like, his most recent time, he indicated that drop off, and he indicated that maybe not playing that well second half. Yeah. And to be fair, we weren't great on Saturday against Hull. We were excellent first half against West Brom, horrendous in the second half, and got beat two one. Um, but in general, he's been a six out of ten, and he seemed from the outside looking in fairly well liked by Blackburn Rovers when he came to us. A lot of people talked about he's good with young, uh, like youth players, he's got to bring yeah. that through, and and that is our model. But what were your personal thoughts and the Rovers fans' thoughts that you speak to when Tony Mowbray rocked up at Sunderland to replace Alex Neil? Uh, I think I was surprised, I personally was surprised he went to Sunderland, but but I wasn't, I didn't know enough about the northeastern rivalry. Uh, we we had it well before Tony Mowbray came. We had Owen Coyle, of course, who'd done the rounds of Lancashire mm. clubs, but obviously he's, most of his success was at Burnley. 
and that yeah that was always going to be a difficult relationship and then he was absolutely terrible <laughs> which kind of like cemented it so i wasn't sure whether whether the middlesbrough um link w- would count against him but yeah, obviously it's not as as serious a rivalry as the the, the Newcastle Sunderland one. Um, it seemed like a sensible move by Sunderland. I think you know you're not going to rip up any trees, but I'd be surprised if you go down, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, and in terms of providing some stability and then building, as you say, if he's confident in the young players, building that continuity. It's just that after two seasons, after two and a half seasons, I think you then it, it's them with Moby. You've just got to look and sort of think are the players getting bored of his delivery or the messages or whatever? Because the, it just it just got stale at Rovers. It just got stale. And what, what I didn't want to see happen was his, his legacy being tarnished because he came into a, a, an absolute madhouse at Blackburn, provided some order pretty much instantaneously, and we went down on the last day on goal difference. And it was it was a, you know the most painful way to go down because at one point we needed three results to be going our way. They were all going our way. We were at Brentford and winning three one kind of thing. You thinking, hang on a minute, it's on here. But in retrospect, going down was probably the best thing that happened because what what we then did is we started winning football matches, uh, and we hadn't experienced that for a while. We'd we'd really been struggling, and it galvanised the support. And there's a whole generation of support that had come through that had never seen Rovers consistently at the top of the table. Granted, it was the third tier, but it galvanised us. And so he got a lot of, quite rightly, he got a lot of kudos from that. There were some people that pointed out that, well, would accuse him of forfeiting the league title because he picked a weakened side away at Charlton in the penultimate Mm. game of the season. And we lost it. And then we lost the league title off the back of that result. And so I said, you know, winning winning a divisional championship, it it counts for something. There were others that sort of say, we just needed to get back. I was probably in the latter camp. We we needed to get back. And I think, yeah, with every passing season that you're stuck in the third tier, uh, it's so much more harder, harder to call out as you will well know. So okay. coming back straight away, first time, w- was absolutely crucial. And Mowbray deserves all the credit for that. But we saw those uh, in-game collapses. Uh, Brentford, the, the year that first year that Brentford got in the playoffs when they lost to Fulham, we went down there. This was at the end of January. This was, this was what, the result that started the, the first collapse, the first Mowbray collapse, as I must refer it. Uh, we were 2-0 up, absolutely coasting, yeah, beating them on their own manner, playing really, really well. Can see the daft goal. You think, oh, man, come out in the second half. I absolutely wiped the floor with us. And we had no response. You know, I just said, Tony, do something, anything, you know, just do something, please, because this clearly isn't working. And that would that was just then the catalyst for a, a catastrophic run of results. And then the following season, it was replicated again. Uh, again, you know, there, there, there were games that we just seemed to have given up on. Uh, we just mm. said, yeah, just do something, Tony. Please, you know, do something. But he has an eye for a player. Um, he, he, he is certainly good with, with youngsters. Uh, I had the good fortune to go down to the training ground uh, the season we came up and uh, to interview some of the players. I was I was invited in, and uh, whilst I couldn't interview Tony, I was around when he was doing his I follow stuff and his uh, all the sort of like press obligations. And there was something about his presence. Uh, when he walked into the room, uh, you know, you know, the, any players that were around, sort of, you know, sort of like sat up straight and all the rest, of it, he thought, well, he's commanding respect. That's good. And one of the things that he always said, one of his mantras at Blackburn was, you know, we, we might lose, we might have a bad result, we might lose games, but we don't lose many back to back. 
And mm. that that was a fair observation that if we lose, we talk about it, we work it through, we learn from it, we put it right the next game. Uh, and, and you could sort of say, we, yeah, we've, we've carried on that tradition this season. We don't lose many back-to-back, but equally, we don't win many back-to-back. So I think I, I think Tony felt to me like a safe choice for you, um, I think, after after Alex Neal left. I was surprised he left, because I, personally, I thought the potential that he had at, at Sunderland was good enough, but obviously Stoke, there's a lot of money in that club, and maybe that's what, what's, what attracted him. But it seemed a sensible, cautious but safe pair of hands. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's what you get with Tony Murray. I don't think he'll ever get you in the playoffs, but equally I'd be amazed if, if you were ever fighting against relegation. Did he have like an obsession with Jaffa cakes? Because <laughs> he... He's very he's... fond of chocolate. I know he, he, he does a lot of interviews where he talks about... There's there was, there was lots of um, gifts that were created by the media team at Rovers that usually involved him biting on a chocolate bar and taking a cup of tea and stuff like that or dunking a biscuit in. So yeah, back with something like that. I know he, he did, didn't he do an interview with it last week or the week before? We were sniffing a Jeffrey cake. About chocolate. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, Jeffrey cakes. Maybe that's, uh, that's his thing. I don't know. Maybe that works. That's his drug of choice. <laughs> More like gaffer cakes these days, but it's, it's become <laughs> quite go. a thing. And... Uh... I did notice he had when he was sniffing a sniffing a Jeffa cake and going, "Oh, lovely!" And I thought someone needs to help him here because <laughs> something's not right. But but he's, he's done okay, bless him. There'll be people listening who will feel the red flags that you're saying because some of them are recognisable yeah. already. But in yeah. general, really lovely football, nice enough bloke. We need a safe pair of hands at the moment, so hopefully it'll work out. But um, in reference to the team that you've seen come up, you talked about we talked sporadically about the game previously um, where you won 2-0 and I think everyone will remember it, the penalty decision, the brilliant goal from Brereton off the back of it, then the free kick and the fact that it felt like we were the better side but you just had the rub of the green on the night, I suppose. But from what you'd seen in the game, who were the players from a Sunderland perspective that stood up most here that night, bearing in mind that Ross Stewart was injured, I suppose? Uh, you're going to have to bear in mind with me because my, okay. my memory for the opposition, Jack Clark, yeah, that you said, he was the one that night um, that, that I thought was really, really troublesome. Because yeah. he just kept popping up and, and sort of like disappearing. And, and on the night, I was looking, thinking, who's that lad? He's, he's, I was, yeah, you're going through on your phone trying to find out, oh, yeah, the lad from Leeds who went to Spurs. Oh, crack, I didn't realize you'd signed him. Oh, wow. That, he looks a good signing. I think I think he was the one that, that that caught the eye. Obviously, a lot of Rovers fans were hoping that Corey Evans would be uh, would be in your midfield. Um, but yeah, you, uh, you don't I, like him, do you? You don't like Corey, do you? It's not that we don't like him. I think he's just always injured. He's been, um, all, he's been all right for us because we got told that we got told. But to be fair to Corey, I think for the first six to seven months, uh, there's a review show that we do, and hilariously, the boy the boy I do it with, we both had a conversation about how poor we thought Corey Evans was and yeah. how we feel he's, he's not too far away from an injury. And then the next game he scored his first Sunderland goal turned out to yeah. be like one of our best players for yeah. the next. And now, bizarrely, he's never injured. And when he is, it's only for a week. Um, and we really struggle without him. It's really it was, weird. We, we, it was one of those players that you knew had ability. You knew had class. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was infuriating the... Let, let, let's let's be kind and say it was coincidental. The number of times he was injured before Northern Ireland training camps, and he he missed the game immediately before, and then would appear for Northern Ireland, 
and then would come back to us carrying an injury that he picked up in the game for Northern Ireland. And, you know, it, when, that's, that, when that happens once or twice, it starts to become a truism every time. Yeah, I don't, oh, God, not, when the Northern Ireland play next, oh, well, Evans will be out, won't he, the week before? In fairness, some of his injuries, he, he was injured. Um, he had a fractured eye socket, really, really bad injury. There was a contact, I think it was against Preston. Uh, and he was taken out. I mean, it, you know, it should have been a red card. I don't, I don't think the referee even gave him a free kick. And that like put him out for about three months, I think in his last season before before his, his contract expired. He he picked his best games invariably uh, for when we played Stoke under Michael O'Neill. Yeah. Coincidence? There was there was one game um, down at down at the Bet365. He ran the midfield like he was in the Esther. Yeah, and the Rovers had it. Who, who's this? Yeah, who's, the, who's this guy? He was everywhere. Short passes, long passes, controlling, flicking it on, breaking into the penalty area. And my God, you know, then two weeks later, Northern Ireland, oh, he's injured again. Yeah, and so on and so on. So I think there was a recognition of ability. I don't think his ability was ever in doubt. We, I don't think we saw enough of him consistently at top form uh, to make him truly a favourite. Uh, I think a measure of it is he's been really difficult to replace. Uh, we've got two or three really good lads coming through the academy now uh, that, that have, have given us competition for places in midfield. But when he immediately left, it was kind of like you, you were just missing someone with that combination of guile, shall we say, mm-hmm. and technique. So I, I, you know, I've played 300 games. I know what this is all about. This is what we've got to do at this point in the game. And we went then to having like three 18-year-olds in the midfield who were all rabidly enthusiastic, running around like headless chickens, and you just needed someone to just calm them down and point them. He's like, yeah, he could have worked well with, with, with these lads. But uh, yeah, he was a he, good player. We didn't see the best of him. when he Again, when he went to you, we were contacted by uh, one of the Sunderland fanzines. And I said, if you can get 30 games a season out of him, you, you'll appreciate him. But if you do get 30 games out of the season, that's probably you know 10 or 15 more than we've had for the last two years. So good luck with that kind of thing. I find it bizarre um, when I really think about players that have played for Sunderland and Blackburn because obviously you do the... And we talk about thing. Danny Graham. <laughs> exactly who I was getting on to because Corey, for, to be fair to Corey, he didn't have the best of stars, but now when he's out of the team, it's so evident and he's probably, because of that, one of the first names on the team sheet. And then I thought, who else has played for Sunderland and Blackburn? And it came to me that you've probably had, no offence to Danny, all of the offence to Jack Rodwell, Two of our worst players of all time. Yeah. Um, Rodwell and Danny Graham. Danny Graham worked out really well. Uh, for you, you seem to love him. We took him yeah. back and we got the Danny Graham we sold to you yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 we, we, we landed on our feet with Danny Graham and, and his combination with Bradley Dyke was what got us out, out of the third tier. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, he, yeah, he, he came as a... I think with a reputation of perhaps being washed up, his best days behind him, this, that, and the other. But he just found his feet. You know, sometimes a player arrives at a club and it's just the right player for the right club under the right manager at the right time and everything gelled. And he was terrific for us. Uh, scored one of the best goals I've seen in years in the Cup at home to Manchester United. A lovely move. And he finished it. And the camera cut to Jose Mourinho on the sideline. And even Mourinho was going to... Yeah, yeah, that that was that was a great finish. So Danny Graham for us was absolutely superb, absolutely superb. Won't hear a bad word said about him. Jack Rodwell uh, epitomises for me the modern footballer that isn't really in love with the game. Mm-hmm. 
uh, but has perhaps got used to the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the move from Everton to Manchester City was supposed to catapult him into England's uh, World Cup teams for the next sort of like three or four tournaments, according to Henry Winter. I think he was always one who was always always putting Jack, Jack Rodwell in the mid central midfield for England teams of like five years hence. Um, I imagine the salary that he was on at Manchester City was competitive. Let's put it like that. I don't think he was playing for peanuts when he joined Sunderland for that no. matter either. Uh, and so at that point, you, you just wonder, don't you? there are players, David Batty at our place was one, who apparently couldn't stand football. And you never see or hear from him now. It's, well, I think it's one of the great social media tropes. You know, has anybody ever seen David Batty in public after he, after he retired? Because he just wasn't that fond of football. It was, it was his job in the same way that I go to work and you say, oh, thank God that, that, that's the end of that today. I can look forward to the weekend. David Batty, that, that was football for him. I get the sense with Rodwell that he was kind of just going through the motions. Um, and it just, it just didn't really... He, there were times he didn't play that many times, but when he did play, he just didn't look interested. And you, know, you, you look back and you sort of say, well, how did we concede that goal? And you watch the highlights again on TV and you say... Oh, there's the bloke running past Rodwell. Oh, he just stood there and watched him run past him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's where all that space came from. You know, but of course, on the ball, when he's spraying it around and he can look like a, a poor man's Alan Hansen, terrific. But when there was work to be done, ugly work, it, he just he didn't he certainly didn't lead from the front. So I wasn't sorry to see him go. Um, and when Sheffield United signed, you know, Chris Wilder, I, I think was just not that's not a wilder player at all. And of course. Funnily enough, it didn't work out for him, and then he ended up, in, I think, in Australia, didn't he? Because he has he married an Australian. He's over, uh, he's lady, over there so. somewhere. What what fills me with joy, and I don't know if this is a, a thing that should fill me with joy. I don't know what this is about me, but I didn't recognise the Danny Graham you mentioned, but I definitely recognise the Jack Rodwell you've mentioned, like <laughs> so much. And it's delightful for us Sunderland fans to understand somebody else has seen the Jack Rodwell that we've seen. Yeah. I don't like to put expletives in this too much, but um, yeah, yeah. He's... No, da- da- Danny is a, is, a, is a Rovers hero uh, and always will be because of the role that he played and the fact that he got on so well with Bradley Dack, who is a Rovers hero. I think the fact that those two gelled just so well. It was, you know, it's serendipity. It happens every now and then. You get a partnership up front and they just, they, you know, they almost have that telepathic understanding. Those two definitely did. They knew the runs each of them was going to make and they knew the balls that each of them wanted. And, uh, and yeah, they brought us back up. And yeah, Danny, Danny will always be welcome at Ewood Park. I wanted to ask you before we go on to predictions. Um, Bradley Dagg is a player that's been kind of softly linked to us, which is, I mean, I've seen him. Yeah, he's decent. I've got a few um, friends who are Gillingham fans who he did well yeah. there. Um, we're stacked with decent number 10s. Obviously, one of them is now up for the season in Elliot Embleton, but. Pritchard's one of our best players. Um, you know, you've got Diallo who can play in a 10. You've got Roberts who can play in a 10 or on the wing. Bradley Dack does not seem like the kind of option that we necessarily need. But he showed up for Blackburn Rovers. Would that be a loss to Blackburn? And again, to Sunderland, or is he... He's in, is he... in the last year of his contract. Is he? Uh, he's one of the highest earners mm-hmm. uh, because he was rewarded uh, after the promotion, excuse me, after the promotion season. He was terrific in the third tier. Uh, a cut above. There was Bradley Dack, clear blue sky, everybody else kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we first came up, I thought this is going to be interesting, see how he, he, he adapts. But he did, in fairness, and he contributed. And then he got injured. 
and it's kind of like, oh, that's a shame. You know, he was just starting to assimilate and really contribute. And Crucius uh, uh, is never an easy injury. No. But, you know, he fought back and he came back and the club gave him a new contract. And, right, here we go again. Yeah, Bradley back 2.0. And then he did his other knee. And you're sort of thinking, I, I can still remember back to Shearer doing doing his knee at Rovers. And some, even though he was still young then and still dynamic, he just, I don't know, it just wasn't quite the same. And then when he did his ankle at Newcastle, he definitely wasn't the same. And he reinvented himself as a fundamentally different kind of, of, of forward. And I think Dak needs to do that. Uh, the only thing is, from Rovers' perspective, is I don't know whether he fits the John Dahl Thomason model. There's a model, uh, sorry, I think JDT likes um, mobile players. I think he likes players that are, are willing to run. Uh, sacrifice themselves for the team, whereas Dak is, I think he plays off, off instinct and he, he likes to do things with the ball. He, he's not naturally someone who will run to close down a defender that's coming forward. And I think he's, he will either have to get on board with that quite quickly or probably more likely um, You know, this season will be his last season at Rovers. I think if someone came along and offered us anything in January, they'd probably take it because it would get his wages off the books for six months and then any fee could, could potentially be reinvested. He's still very, very popular amongst Rovers fans for everything that he's done, but it's, it is going to be very, very difficult for him to, to come back after two cruciates. Um, so his agent, I think, must be cursing the look because the, re, the, the hot rumour was that West Bromwich Albion uh, were due to sign him um, and that that would give him his move to the Premier League. And, of course, the injuries have just ended any interest in it. Uh, so him moving on a free gives him a chance for a fresh start, and he possibly needs that. If there's a manager that can get the best out of him, it's Tony Mowbray. Yeah. If there's a manager that he will play for um, and run through broken glass, it's Tony Mowbray. So notwithstanding the fact that you might have lots of people who play in his possession, if somebody's going to get the best out of him, they're, they're a really good fit for each other. And if you can get something out of him, you know, you might get 18 months, two years at, at that level. But it, yeah, my heart goes out to him. A professional athlete, the best years of his career, is, he's lost already. And he's trying to come back and he's trying to come back under a manager that clearly doesn't see him in the same way that his previous manager did. So that must be really, really doubly difficult. The fans love him. He will all, Again, he will always be welcome. He would come what may. But it's really difficult to see that he will thrive under Thomason. I've got to be honest. Really it's, difficult. It's, it's an interesting link. I quite like the fact that his girlfriend, who I don't know much about, I think she lives in Love Island or something. Yeah. Um, less, said, less said about that, I think. The better. <laughs> I didn't watch the early season, shall we say. Um, but she tweeted she would go anywhere that he wants to go because she loves them, which I thought was yeah. quite nice. So fair play. If you want to come to Sunderland and go to Jack White's market, that's completely up to you. <laughs> um, last but not least, I'm going to go predictions. I always get them wrong, so I might as well we go for to. one. Do we that's... have to? Well, I'm <laughs> Let's go... just predict two scores first, and then we both know what will happen thereafter. I'm going to say 1-1. One, one. I'm going to blow things out the water and say 1-1. One, one. We, your... we broke your run last time of win-lose, win-draw, and I kind mm. of go against us getting beat. I can't say that because that's not nice. And I don't think we'll win. So it seems very sudden to break a run. So I'll say 1-1. One, one. Let's say 1-1. One, one. You, you, you've stolen my thunder there because that, that's that's my standard prediction now. With with each game that passes, I'll say, well, one game nearer to the first draw of the season. 
And there, you know, there's an inexorable feeling that it's going to come at some point. So I'll tell you what, I'll go 2-2 because I don't think our defence is that robust. Um, but it will be interesting to see if we do draw a game. Is it because we've come back or is it because we've let it slip away? Knowing Blackburn Rovers as I do, it's more likely to be the latter. So let's say that Rovers will win the first half 2-0 and you'll win the second half 2-0. Mowbray can do his 45 on, 45 off routine and everybody gets something out of it that they can talk about after the game. Sounds pretty perfect to me, to be honest. Not too bad. Um, I genuinely mean it, Ian. I listened, I, I tried to listen to the, the couple of episodes before I have any guests on, just so I get a feel, as you should, I think. Um, really, really enjoyed the podcast. Really good variation of characters that are in it. But where can we, we find you? Because there'll be people that sometimes are finding listening to the opposition podcast is quite interesting yeah. after a game. I yeah, certainly yeah. do. So where could we find you after? Well, the, after the best place to come for all our content is the website brfcs.com. So Blackburn Rovers Football Club supporters, if you like, think of it that way. So brfcs.com, uh, the homepage there will will have fan previews on there. We we have the usual feeds of, of statistics and all the rest of it that, that we have on our home site. And there are various tabs across the top where you can see uh, links to we have a, a we we link in with our sister publication, the Four Thousand Holes Fanzine. So the podcast and the fanzine tend to work very much hand in hand, uh, where material that's written for the podcast can then end up in the fanzine and vice versa. And people who contribute to the fanzine then will write items for the podcast. So there's some stuff on there which goes back through so classic 4,000 Holes articles uh, and, all, and our podcasts are, are on a tab on that website. So brfcs.com is a good place to go there to just review what Blackburn fans are thinking. We have the forum as well, of course, and that's always a good place to go to look at the match thread because then you'll get an insight as the as the away fans, the mentality of the home fans and just whether, whether we're on a high or a low and all the rest of it. And quite often we'll get some away supporters who will join uh, just just to have that sort of like what's the conversations that we're having now, but online, so that that's always a good place to go as well. That was the the heart of the original website, and then over the last three or four years, we've built stuff around it now to try and bring it into the twenty first century. So uh, yeah, uh, thanks for the plug, and I hope any Sunderland fans that do come, if you come in peace, you'll be welcomed on the floor. <laughs> we like we like to talk to away fans as long as they. If you want to come and moan about Danny Gray, we'll, we'll talk about that because then we'll just keep quoting statistics back at you for when he played for us. So that's what oh, we like. Right. Jason Steele, that's another one we should talk about. Oh, Jason Jesus Steele, <laughs> That was one of the Sunderland that bought it. Bought it? They paid a fee, apparently. My word. We could talk for hours, couldn't we? We, could, we, we, could, we better not. That's, that, that's the benefit. We could, as long as it's not about Jason Steele, I'm comfortable. I'm pleased. <laughs> I'm pleased he didn't come up my Google search because that could have gone so south. But um, Ian, genuinely, really enjoyed the chat. I hope you did. Thank as you very well, much. Mate. I did. It's been super. It's always nice to chat and get the opposition fans' perspective. And uh, uh, yeah, if we're still in the same division next year, and I think we probably will be, let's do mm. this next year as well. Why not? Spot on. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Merry Christmas.